This morning is Palm Sunday, as has already been said, and if you know uh, anything about Palm Sunday, it is the, we call it Palm Sunday because of the palms that were thrown down on that Sunday in front of Jesus as He was riding in on a colt. But what Palm Sunday was, was the first day beginning of the Passover week, and it marks the beginning of the Passover week. This morning, we want to take a look at Palm Sunday. We want to take a look at what happened that day. and What does it mean to us today? We're going to look at Luke chapter 19, verses 29 through 41 this morning. Luke chapter 19, verses 29 through 41. If you have found that, or even if you have not, we'll have it up on the screen, but would you please stand One last time this morning in the honor of the reading of the Word of God. Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 29, says that it came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt. And they sat Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Now as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice, for they had all, for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Look at verse 41. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. Palm Sunday is typically a day that we think of of great rejoicing and great triumph. You might be surprised to know the Bible only records two times in the life of Jesus that He cried. Not to say that He only cried two times, the Bible only records two times for us. One is at the death of Lazarus. The other was on Palm Sunday, the day that we typically celebrate as the great triumph of Jesus. He saw it and He wept. This morning, I want to preach to you on the thought, the day that God cried. Let us pray. Lord, we love you this morning, and we are grateful to come and celebrate Palm Sunday. Father, we're grateful that you loved us. Father, we're so grateful for the blood that does give us hope, Father. It is the power of our victory, Lord. It is what cleanses us of our sins. This morning, we come and we worship you. And God, you have certainly moved in our midst. And we just pray that You'd finish what You're doing. God, that we would just let You be God. 
Lord, I yield myself to You right now at this moment, God, and I yield my body to You, my mouth, my heart, my mind, my soul, all that I am. God, may it be exhausted this morning for You and Your glory. God, would You speak to us? Lord, would you would Your Word penetrate our hearts and let us move past all of the external what things look like to the reality of what they really are? God, we ask this morning, when You look at the crowd, do You still cry? Lord, I pray that You would have Your way, that sinners would be saved. I pray that today would be the day of life transformation, Lord, for somebody in this congregation. Lord, I pray, Father, that You'd have Your way and Your will and that You would be glorified for what You do in Your house this morning. We ask it in the precious name, above all names, the name of our Lord, the name of our Savior, the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but I found it incredibly interesting that this is the other place in the Bible that we see Jesus weeping. And the heart of my text this morning is the day that God cried. But what I want us to enter into this day. I think it's easier for us, I don't know about you and how your brain works, but it's easier for me when I can get a mental picture of what was going on and kind of see it with with my eyes, if you will. Kind of hear what's going on in the crowd and get a feel for what was taking place. And so I want us to do that this morning as we work together through this passage. First of all, the Bible tells us that Jesus sent a few of His disciples to go get a colt. One of the things that we know is that in Zechariah chapter 9, it was prophesied that the Messiah would ride in on a colt. But in John chapter 12, which Tony used this morning for his text, Had he backed up just a few verses earlier, John tells us something really interesting about this day. John said, we didn't understand what was going on. About this exact event, about them getting the colt, about Jesus riding in, we would just naturally assume they knew. John says, you read it for yourself in John chapter 12, he said, we didn't know what was going on, but after he was glorified, then we understood Now, I want you to think about His disciples. If you read the life of Jesus and you look at His movement throughout the three years of ministry that He had, He never rode on a colt. He never rode on any animal. He was constantly walking. The only thing we ever see Jesus riding in was a boat to get across water. And sometimes He didn't even do that. He just walked. But we didn't see Him using animals to get where he needed to go. He walked and he talked with people on the way. But this time, he says to his disciples, I want you to go get a colt. And what I want, you're going to untie it and somebody's going to ask you about it. And you're going to tell them the Lord has need of it. We don't know. We don't know if that was prearranged with the owner. The Bible doesn't really tell us. But we do know the disciples did exactly as he said. Jesus was brought the colt to him. He was set upon the colt and he rode into town. Now, here's what you need to know about kings, especially in this era of time. Kings were known for riding on two things symbolically. If it was a time of war, if it was a time when the people needed to see great strength in their king, the king would ride in chariots pulled by large horses. And it gave the 
The, uh, it was symbolic of we are strong. And though we are at war, we will win. Your king can be trusted. Your king is a man of war. But during times of peace, when there was no war, during times of peace and tranquility, when all was well throughout the land, often a king would ride a colt as a symbol of peace. And so at best, here's what we know. The people had some idea that Jesus was claiming to be king. We know that because they quoted the Messianic Psalm in, I believe, Psalm chapter 138. They quoted the Messianic Psalm. Yeah, 118, verse 26. And so they had an idea that Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah. And quickly, the crowds came. I wonder how large the crowd was. We know they were all shouting Hosanna, those that were there to praise Him, but we also see the Pharisees were there. His disciples were there. People were there. I I want you to think about all of this is happening and Jesus is is barely elevated above the crowd. He can see further than the average person because He's on top of a colt. And there's multitudes of people coming. From our perspective, from the perspective of the disciples, from the perspective of the Pharisees, they were angry because it was a celebration. From the perspective of the people, they were celebrating. It was a joyous time. They were singing songs of praise. They were quoting Psalm 118 about the the coming Messiah. It, It seemed like a joyful time. I wonder what the disciples were thinking, don't you? I mean... They had known. They had watched the um, the alliance of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and and with the people of the the, the governor, the government of of Rome and, and Galilee. They had seen these people position themselves to take down Jesus. The disciples had sat there in the meetings when the Pharisees had come in and tried to trip up their master. And they had watched their master each and every time answer skillfully. And the, the, the lawyers, the Pharisees, the Sadducees leave um, uh, in anger, leave though defeated, knowing that they had not accomplished the task of trapping up Jesus. And the disciples, we know this, especially when we look at the last few uh, months of Jesus' life, the last few weeks even, we see the disciples have this attitude of, we're at war. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, what's Peter do? He pulls out his sword and cuts somebody's ear off. On the way, when they're coming through Samaria, what, what do uh, James and John say, the sons of thunder? They say, Lord, you want us to call down fire on these people and destroy them? They had a mentality of, we are tired of our king being... Uh, teased and ridiculed and disrespected. And and there was something building in them that that somehow one of these days our king is going to just break loose and be triumphant. And I can't help but believe that while they're traveling with their master and he's on the colt and the people are in front of him laying down palm leaves, laying down their clothes to make basically the red carpet so that he doesn't have to walk across dirt... 
As they are honoring Him this way, I can't help but believe some of the disciples, some of them, at least Peter, James, and John, because that's kind of the way they walked, had their chest out a little bit. I can't help but believe they were trying to get, one was trying to get out in front of the cult a little bit. You know, I'm leading the Master here and making sure the people knew. Making sure the fair, looking for people in the crowd that they'd be familiar with that had tried to trip up their master, that had tried to take down and question his authority. Looking at this Pharisee, looking at that Sadducee. Oh yeah, this is the one that you were trying to trip up. And there's a sense of pride in them. I think about who the congregate, the people that were there. I don't know who, but I know for sure. Of the multitudes that He healed. There were some there. I know that some of those laying down palms, those that were honoring Him as King, were, were those who had been touched by His ministry and their life had never been the same. I can't help but wonder if blind Bartimaeus was there. He's just not blind anymore. He's not even dressed up in the same beggar clothes he once used to have to use and to, to live and beg in. He's got clothes on because now he can work because he's not blind anymore. And, and he's there praising His King. I wonder if the woman at the well in John chapter 4 was there and, 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 and many of the people that she had won to the Lord, the Bible tells us, that she had brought to Jesus. I wonder if there was a group of them there and they were praising Him. I wonder if Jairus was there with his wife and with his daughter who was dead that Jesus raised back to life. We know that Mary and Martha and Lazarus were there. We know that many of the people who had heard the story of Lazarus being resurrected after he had been dead long enough that his body had started to decay, they were there. And there was this excitement, this excitement in the air, and the people were shouting. They begin to shout the Messianic psalm, the praise of, of Psalm 118. And when they did that, the Pharisees knew that these people are claiming that He's the Messiah. And what did the Pharisees do? They had to shout through the crowd. That's what it tells us. They shouted through the crowd out to Jesus, Rebuke your disciples! They were happy about what was going on. All this is happening. I mean, it's really quite an event. I kind of wonder what Andrew was thinking. Andrew was quiet. You don't know a lot. What you see about Andrew... Andrew was an evangelist who won people to the Lord one soul at a time. That's what you see. You see Andrew bringing the little boy to Jesus when Jesus fed the multitudes. You see Andrew getting Peter, his brother, and bringing Peter to Jesus. He wasn't the type of person like Peter and James and John who loved the crowd. But I can't wonder what he was thinking as he was there. It seemed like a really triumphant, victorious time. Now, I want you for a moment to imagine, this is, this is don't, I hope you doesn't feel sacrilegious on you, but I want you to imagine that you're the one on the cult. You're the one that all this hype is about. You're sitting there and all these people have come. I mean, it, they are celebrating you. What would you feel? What would you think? How would you respond? What would you do? Jesus cried. Isn't that interesting? On Palm Sunday, Jesus cried. 
Now, why was Jesus crying? When everybody else is rejoicing, except for the Pharisees, because they hate it when people rejoice. When everybody else is excited. When everybody else is throwing down palm leaves. When His disciples got the chest out and they're walking because their king is being brought in on a colt. There He sits, weeping. Why? The procession stops. From behind, you can see Jesus beginning to shake. Some wonder if it's in laughter. But as they look closely, they find that it's not laughter. He's weeping. He's crying. Sorrow and tears in the midst of a crowd that's jumping and hollering for joy. What does it teach us this morning about the day that God cried? There's four simple things this morning I want us to look at that we can learn from the passage. What can we learn about the eyes of God? What can we learn about the mind of God? What can we learn about the heart of God? And what can we learn about the will of God this morning as we look at the day that God cried? First of all, the eyes of God. It's real simple. Jesus saw straight through all of it. That's just the truth of the matter. The reason Jesus wept is because though all of this great commotion was going on and though all of the crowd was there, Jesus knew this isn't authentic. Jesus knew that in about five days, many of those who are praising Me now will say nothing. And even worse, many of those who are praising Me now will stand in the court when Pontius Pilate says, would you have Me to release Barabbas or would you have Me to release Jesus? And they will cry, crucify Him. Let His blood be upon us and our children. He saw through all the hype. He saw through all the external stuff going on and, and, and understood this about people. And I'm here to tell you this morning, we're no different today. People are fickle and people like to be entertained. But when you really get to the authenticity of their worship, why are you here? Why did you come to the procession today? Why did you bring palms to, to, to drop before His feet today? Was it because your heart belongs to Him? Was it because your life has been changed by Him? Or is it simply because that's what everybody else is doing? That's what the crowd is doing. It feels comfortable to do it now. It feels easy to do it now when everybody else is standing for God. Jesus knew and He saw what everyone else couldn't see. When we look at Palm Sunday and we look at all the details of it, can I tell you something? I don't know how many of you knew that the only other time the Bible records Jesus crying was on this day. Or let's just be honest. A show of hands. How many of you here knew there's only two times the Bible ever records Jesus crying and one of those was on Palm Sunday. Is there anybody who knew that? One. Anybody else? 
Think about that. Think about that. I'm not saying that we're illiterate in the Bible. I'm saying we can read over that passage over and over and over again and what we see is the party. I'll bet many of you have read this passage many a times. And you're like me, and you're like the disciples, and you're like the rest of the world. You see the party. And it's a time of excitement. And here's what I want to say. Jesus isn't against partying. We see Jesus in John chapter 2 at the wedding party. Jesus isn't against... He's a joyful man. Jesus loves coming together and having a good time together. He loves that. But He sees through the fakeness too. And He saw through all of that that day. Here's what I want you to understand about the eyes of God. God looks through you like a piece of glass. And not just a piece of glass, a well-polished, perfectly clean, Windex, every last single streak gone, no glare on it. You can hardly tell there's glass there that clean. That's how God looks into your life. That's how He looks into my life. That's how He views the happenings of this church. That's how He views my family and your family. God sees through it all, all the stuff that's on the outside that we are often so focused on that doesn't really give an indicator of what's on the inside. He sees straight through all of that. You know, the terror of it is we don't. We, we, the ability we have to be self-deceived is overwhelming. To think that all is well when it's not. But here's what we know about God as we look at the day that God cried. Number one, the eyes of God see through the crowd. He sees through the external. God sees to the reality of it all. Number two, the mind of God. Why was He weeping? Because His mind wasn't on the praise of all the people at the moment. If you read on, it tells us that he wept and said. So it actually tells us why he wept. If you had known, even you, especially in this, your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. You know what was on the mind of God? Which will teach us about the heart of God in just a moment. The destruction of the people. He wasn't embellishing the brief few hours of praise of everybody coming together. His mind was on the reality that most of you have rejected me. He wasn't sidetracked by the, 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 the fickle praise of, of people for a, a short moment of time. His mind was on the people as a whole. It teaches us about God. God thinks about us. God thinks about you. 
He thinks about your marriage. He thinks about your relationship with your children. He thinks about your life. He thinks about you. Tells us about His mind. He's selfless. He's concerned. He cares. That's about the mind of God. When all of us are looking at the crowd... God's thinking about the people in the crowd. When all of us are focused on what the crowd is focused on, God is focused on the crowd. And He's thinking about them. His heart is broken because He knows that because they've rejected Him, destruction is coming. Jesus says, how can I rejoice when you're about to be destroyed? My mind is not on me, he says. My mind is on you. You know, God's thinking about you this morning. Whether you believe it or not, whether you think this is a canned statement, whether you try to somehow shake it off your shoulder, the fact is you're here this morning because God loves you, He cares about you, and He thinks about you. That's why you're here. You might think you're here because it's Palm Sunday or because church is something you do or somebody invited you to come. You are here for one reason, whether you know it or not. It's because God thinks about you. And He loves you. And He's trying to pull you towards Himself. That's why you're here. The question is, will we really surrender to God? The question I asked this morning is, when He looks at your life, does He weep? When He looks at the crowd, does He still weep? When He looks at your family, does He weep? When He looks at your commitment to Him, does He weep? Because remember, my friends, He sees through the external. He sees through the total number of services you make or don't make in a year. He sees through the amount that you give or don't give. He sees through the amount of service that you do or don't do for the church. He sees through all of that. He sees what you do in the quiet place. He sees the way you treat your wife at home. He sees the way you treat your husband at home. He sees the way you are towards your children. He sees the way that you are at work when you're not around anybody else. He sees you in the darkest days of your life. He knows you. He knows everything there is about you. And He's not fooled by anything that we do out here. Now, I'm not saying that what we do out here doesn't matter. It does matter. It matters much. But God is so able to see beyond all that that He sees the heart, He sees the motive of why we do what we do. And He judges the motives of the heart this morning. On the day that God cried, we can learn about the eyes of God. He sees through the crowd. We can learn about the mind of God, selflessly thinking others. We can learn about the heart of God. He was weeping. He was weeping because He foresaw their destruction. Now, let's get something straight. Why were they going to be destroyed? Because they rejected Him. How many of you weep over people who reject you? How many of you are broken when you think about somebody suffering who is your enemy? You see, Jesus looked at those who, in essence, were enemies of God. They were 
they were friends of the world. They were still yet selfish. They were, they were not truly transformed and changed. They would be crying out to crucify Him later. And rather than thinking, you're going to get what's coming to you. You just wait. You'll see. I am the King. That wasn't what He was, he was broken. It teaches us about the heart of God. God is compassionate. He is patient. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is forgiving. No matter how far you've gone, no matter how much you've rejected God in your life this morning, He is compassionate towards you. And again, whether you believe it or not, that's why you're here today. Because He wants you to know that He loves you and that He won't give up and that His heart is broken when you reject Him. That His heart is hurt when you are not connected to Him, when you are not His and He is not yours. And that though you go your own way and that though you turn your back on Him, He loves you and His heart is broken by it. It tells us this about the heart of God. He's full of compassion. He's full of mercy this morning. When He said, love your enemies, He showed us how. He wasn't just telling us what to do and pointing the way. He led the way. Romans chapter 5 tells us God commended His love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We see Jesus weeping when He looks at the very people who will be rejecting Him in just a few days. I want you to understand this morning, God loves you. He loves you. Jesus wept because He had did everything He could to reach these people. If you're not saved here this morning, it's not because God hasn't tried. It's not because God doesn't want you to be saved. It's because you continue to reject God. And when you reject God, it breaks God's heart. Look, what, look with me at Luke chapter 13 as we look at the will of God. Luke chapter 13. I'm going to read verse 34 and 35 because I want you to see that really it's the same thought that Jesus expresses when He looks at Jerusalem again on His way in on the triumphal entry. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. But you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. And assuredly, I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He says, your house has left you desolate. It again is a reference to the destruction coming to Jerusalem. But look what he says in verse 34. I wanted to gather your children together. As a hen gathers her brood under her wings. But you were not willing. What can we learn about the day that God cried? We can learn that the eyes of God see straight through the crowd. We can learn that the mind of God is selflessly thinking about others. 
We can learn that the heart of God is compassionate and merciful and gracious. And we can learn that the ultimate will of God is to save the lost. The ultimate will of God is to save the lost. Jesus said the Son of Man came to. That gives us the reason for. He came to seek and save that which was lost. That's the will of God. And on that day He looked and He saw people who showed up to praise Him. He saw a a, a nation as a whole who showed up to put palm leaves down and and, and to, to joyfully proclaim Him the Messiah knowing that in a few days you're going to have Me crucified. And he wept because his will is not that they be destroyed, but that that they be saved. The will of God is for you to be saved this morning. The will of God is for you to know Him in the free pardon of sin. I can't help, but I think about this time of year and I think about Christmas. When I think about this, especially as we look at the context of of Jesus weeping on Palm Sunday, I ask our worship team to come. I can't help but think, isn't it ironic that at this same time of year, during this same celebration, the crowds go up? Next week is the most attended week of church every day of any year. Easter. People go to church on Easter. And many churches, their their biggest day is Easter, and that's what they count. And each year when they report back to their, their denomination and to their groups that they're part of, the most important number is how many did you have on Easter? We're still looking at the crowd. What good does it do to have 400 people here on Easter if we have 200 the week after? You see, he sees through the crowd. And I can't help but wonder. Maybe God doesn't rejoice as much as we do when he sees the crowd full of people who show up to praise him in the good times. But one week later, they're gone. It tells us this about the will of God God wants authentic Christians, that's what he wants. Authentic doesn't mean that you never sin. Authentic means that you are who you say you are. That's what it means. It means that you're honestly, not just with your lips, not just here in church, not just giving the churchy answer, oh, everybody sins, I've got my own stuff. See, God sees through all that stuff like a piece of glass right into your heart. He knows if you're really trying to serve Him or not. He knows. And He desires authenticity. He desires a real, lasting relationship. And on that day, the truth is, He saw straight through it all. And it broke His heart. I pray that when God looks at us, 
and he sees straight through it all. That he sees we're still going to be here Friday. We're not going to be shouting with the rest of the world, we don't need Jesus. Not in the way we live, not in the way we walk, not in the way we act, but we are going to be living and, and living for Him and dying for Him each and every day because He's Lord. I pray that when God looks at us, that's what He sees. But when I say us this morning, us, is the 175 individuals right here in this room under the sound of my voice. And so I ask you the question this morning, when God looks to you, does He see authenticity? Does He see a child that's devoted to Him? If He does, we are the joy that was set before Him. It's it's amazing the the difference. He endured the cross for the joy set before Him. Those who would accept Him, those who would come to Him, those who would become, as Jesus is, we are referred to as brothers of His in Hebrews chapter 2, those who would become brothers of the Lord Jesus Christ. His heart's filled with joy. So I ask you this morning, when God looks through the glass of your life, Is his heart filled with joy? Or does he weep? Lord, I pray that you'd move all across this room right now in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that hearts would surrender to you. God, I pray that there would be a celebration of joy this morning from those of of us who have really come to know you, who have accepted the payment of the blood, who walk, in the love of Your life. God, I pray there be somebody here this morning not serving You. Somebody who fits into the crowd just like the crowd on that day. Somebody who knows when it's time to throw down the palm leaf. Somebody who knows when it's time to, to shout with the crowd. Somebody who knows how to look like something that they're really not. That today would be the day that stops and they would come to know You and truly surrender to You.